we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. 2 Samuel chapter number 18, we've been in a, li- in a study of the life of David, if you're uh, new to us this morning, and so uh, we pick up in that study in 2 Samuel 18. And David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah. Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. But the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die will they care for us. But now thou art worth ten thousand of us. Therefore now it is better that thou succor us out of the city. The word succor just simply means to aid or to help, to strengthen. Verse 4, And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best, I will do. And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently uh, for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David, and there was there a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, And the mule that was under him went away. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, saying, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, And behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king charged thee and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I should have wrought falsehood against my own life. For there is no matter hid from the king, and thou thyself wouldest have set thyself against me. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing after Israel, for Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him, and all Israel fled every one to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar which is in the Kingsdale, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name, and it is called unto this day Absalom's place. 
Then said Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, let me now run and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. Then said Joab to Cushai, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab and ran. Then said Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab, But howsoever, let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. And Joab said, there, Wherefore wilt thou run, my son? seeing that thou hast no tidings ready. But howsoever, said he, let me run. And he said unto him, Run then, Ahimeaz ran by the way of the plain, and overran Cushai. And David said, sat between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate under the wall, and lifted up his eyes, and looked, and behold, a man running alone. And the watchman cried, and told the king. And the king said, If he be alone... There is tidings in his mouth. And he came apace and drew near. And the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also bringeth tidings. And the watchman said, Methinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and cometh with good tidings. And Ahimeaz called and said unto the king, All is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my Lord, the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimeaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. And the king said unto him, Turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. And behold, Cushai came, and Cushai said, Tidings, my lord the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. And the king was much moved, and went up to the chamber over the gate, and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. We come to this chapter and we note in verse number six this phrase, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, the battle in the wood. The battle in the wood. As we've been studying the life of David, we know that David is under uh, the uh, sentence, the weight of his own sin, his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, We know that because of that sin as a consequence of it, his son Absalom has rebelled against him. Absalom has led the nation to reject David as king. And though nationally he has been rejected, there are many who have followed him out of Jerusalem as he has fled into the wilderness. And there they have, as in time past, when he fled from Saul, they have resorted to David. A battle has been brewing. Absalom is going to lead the men of Israel against the servants of David in battle. A civil war is taking place. 
And it happens in the wood in Ephraim, in a forest, in a very difficult place where there are dangers in the landscape and ravines and rocks and, of course, the trees that contribute to the chaos of battle. And the battle takes place, and Absalom, the rebel's son, who led the revolt against his father, is killed in the battle. David awaits not really the news of the battle, although that is something he awaits. He is more interested in the fate of his son. And when he learns that his son has been killed in battle, he laments for him in verse number 33. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Well, what happens here is that a victory for the kingdom resulted in the sorrow of the king. David's enemies have been avenged. His kingdom is secure. He will soon return to Jerusalem, but he will return so with sorrow in his heart. While his men are celebrating the victory, David is lamenting the loss of his son. There is a battle that is taking place here, not just the battle in the wood, the forces of Absalom against the servants of David. No, there is a battle within the battle. It is the battle between law and love. The law which says Absalom is worthy of death and the love of a father who says, remember, that's my son. Deal gently with the lad for my sake. You see, the law requires justice and love seeks mercy. And Joab represents for us then uh, the one who executes justice. When he learns that Absalom is trapped in the trees, what does he do? He doesn't deal gently with him. He kills him, puts him to death. So Joab executed justice and David longed for mercy. Uh, we live in a world that is a dangerous place. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. We're living in those perilous times, aren't we? The forest that day had many dangers. In fact, the Bible points out to us that there were more people who died as a result of the forest than as a result of the sword. Uh, we're living in a dangerous world, and in our world, there are many who are clamoring for justice to be carried out. But they want justice for a select few. And by the way, they extend no mercy to those who do not fall in line with their ideologies. There's no mercy. The only mercy that is extended are to those who have the ability to advance their cause. And while they clamor for justice, let me assure you that justice is something that they do not want. Because one day the king, the righteous judge, will come to this earth. And for the first time in the history of this world, men will know what it is like to be governed in justice when King Jesus rules and reigns. But our world is largely in rebellion. In fact, the battle rages. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we are in a struggle. We're in a spiritual conflict and a spiritual warfare, and there is a battle in the wood. Now, we learn some things from this battle in the wood 
and I trust that God will use them to speak to our hearts. I hope you'll write them down, and I always encourage you to take notes, and I hope that you're developing that habit. If you are, would you write this down? Number one, David's servants fought. David's servants fought. These were the men who were loyal to David. <clears throat> now, we note some things. First of all, we see the organization of these servants. Notice in verse 1, and David outnumbered the people, or David rather numbered the people that were with him, and the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. So he sets these captains. He's organizing his troops. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. So they are getting ready for the battle, and we see the organization of his servants. David places them in groups, sets captains over them, divides the army into three equal parts, and then sets generals over them. No doubt they went with a strategy and with a plan into the wood of Ephraim. They're expecting Absalom and the men of Israel to come at any moment. And then we note a second thing here about these servants in their fight is the objection of his servants. The objection. Notice the Bible tells us that David said at the close of verse 2, I will surely go forth with you myself also. Then in verse 3 we read this, But the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth. For if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die, will they care for us. But now thou art worth 10,000 of us. Therefore now it is better that thou succor us out of the city. And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best, I will do. And the king stood by the gate, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. It's amazing to note that he had this many men with him in the wilderness. But there were many who had begun to resort to him. And as he began to say, I will lead you out into battle, the people objected and they said, no, David, we want you to stay behind in the city, the city of Mahanaim, and there uh, you can help us in uh, our time of distress if we need it. They valued David and they were willing to fight for him. Well, then we note the orders that he gave to his servants. The orders. Look in verse number five. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with a young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Jerusalem. So David, in the midst of all the people, makes it very clear to his commanders, Deal gently with the lad for my sake. And all the people, of course, hear it. It's open. It's public. But it hadn't been that long, if you'll remember, that David had secretly given orders to Joab. And those orders were to ensure the death of one of his loyal soldiers, Uriah. You remember that Uriah was the husband of Bathsheba. And Uriah refused to go home to his wife. David was trying to cover up his adultery by sending Uriah home. And so when the child that Bathsheba had conceived would, would be born that everyone would think it was naturally Uriah's child. But Uriah had more honor and more loyalty than David. And he refused to go home while his fellow soldiers fought in the field. And so David sent him 
uh, with a note in hand to give to Joab. And the order was to put Uriah in the forefront of the battle and then to withdraw and allow Uriah to be killed. And Joab, by the way, obeyed that order. Now here in the presence of all, David has commanded his leaders to deal gently with a rebellious son. Secretly, he dealt with a loyal soldier by putting him to death. Openly, he was dealing with a rebellious son by calling for mercy. What do we understand about this? We understand that Uriah deserved to live and Absalom deserved to die. And David, of course, recognized that Absalom deserved judgment and death. But in love, he sought mercy. Well, we see the outcome. Notice in verse number six. So the people went out in the field against Israel and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there was there a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. So here's the outcome of the battle. David's men win a decisive victory. And the amazing thing to note for me is this, that all that buildup, all of the activity of Absalom's rebellion that began in his heart, that, that, that initiated a campaign where he stood out the gate, outside the gates of the city of Jerusalem and beckoned to the men of Israel to come to him and, and said to them, if, if, if someone were to make me a judge, well, then, then you would get justice. And he stirred within the hearts of the men of Israel a discontentment toward their king, his father, David. And then he rallied the men of Israel and he stole their hearts and he had the counselors of David who betrayed David and became his counselors. All of this buildup, all of this, this exercise in rebellion that took time, that, that took energy, that, that, that required thought and, and, and careful planning now has come to fruition in the battle. But as quickly as it starts, it ends with a decisive victory for David and his servants. And let me say this to you. We live in a world where Satan is constantly conspiring against the Lord Jesus Christ and where there is a world that is following him and there are those who are in prominent positions who deny the truth of God's word, who deny the existence of the Son of God, his atoning work, who seek to promote any other religious movement or religious doctrine other than the doctrine of Christ. We live in a world in rebellion against the Lord Jesus and that rebellion intensifies every day. But when Jesus' feet touch down on the Mount of Olives, the battle will be over, friend, just as quickly as it begins. A decisive victory was won. We're living in a world today, a world of chaos. You see, we find that Absalom's men were devoured that day in the wood. More died in the wood than by the hand of the sword. In fact, when we find Absalom in verse number 9, we find him alone. Here's the leader, and he's alone. The Bible says in verse 9, And Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode under, or he rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of the great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between heaven and earth, and the mule that was under him went away. 
He was there by himself. You see, the narrative depicts for us a chaotic scene, and we live in a world that's filled with chaos. When you reject the truth of God's word, when you reject his divine righteousness, then you open yourself up to a chaotic world, a world that is unable to rescue itself. There suspended in the trees was Absalom, unable to deliver himself from the chaos of the wood. And there are many today unable to, de to deliver themselves from the chaos of this world. They can't even determine what the threat is. Uh, one day we hear it is climate change. The next day we hear it is our social economic system. And there are many systems that have been proposed, but uh, there are no answers. Uh, one day we are told that education is the answer. And the next day we're told that uh, racism is the problem. I want you to know there's one root cause to all the problems in our world. It's sin. And there's only one answer. That's Jesus. He's the only deliverer. And when he comes again, he'll set everything right. Now, these servants of David are battling. And the servants of the Lord Jesus have been called to battle. We are soldiers of the cross. We are called to fight the good fight of faith. And as we fight, we can fight confidently. We can fight because we are assured. We are assured of victory. Jesus has won the battle. And we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so David's servants fought. May God help us. In this hour in which we live, to fight the good fight of faith. Secondly, we see that David's son fell. His son fell. Notice again in verse number nine. The word of God tells us that Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak. And his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. Well, we don't think of a noble leader dying in this fashion, do we? What a humbling and humiliating way for this man who valued himself so highly to come to an end. The Bible tells us that Absalom rode upon a mule. The mule, of course, was the royal mode of transport. Those who were kings, those who were the royal seed, would ride upon the mule. And so Absalom in battle, uh, still going on in the pretense that he was the king, rode upon the mule. And we notice something about the mule. It was a symbol of his pride. And that mule, the Bible said, went under the thick boughs of a great oak. We do not find that Absalom had control of that animal. But perhaps in the chaos of the day, the activity of the war, that mule got spooked, and that mule decided to get out of there. And so the mule carries Absalom under the thick boughs of a great oak. By the way, pride is an instrument that will take you places you never thought you would go. Pride says you're in control. 
But pride is just sin, and sin has control and dominion over you when you allow it to come into your heart and into your life. Well, and then the Bible tells us that his head caught hold of the oak. We don't know exactly how that happened. Uh, you and I who've been in Sunday school and church most of our life, we know the story as it's been related to us that Absalom had this long flowing hair. The Bible tells us that in the earlier chapters. It was a symbol of his pride. And uh, we're taught that the hair of Absalom perhaps got tangled in the branches of the oak. And that probably is what happened to him. But as the mule rode under the oak and the boughs, his head got caught up in the branches, his hair perhaps uh, intertangled in the branches, and all of a sudden, he's no longer resting underneath the mule. He's suspended in air. He's raised up off the saddle or the back of the mule. And the mule doesn't stop. The mule walks on. The mule goes away and leaves Absalom behind. You see, this is the problem with pride. It will take you places you don't want to go. It will ensnare you, and it will leave you hanging. And here we see that Absalom was snared. Snared by his pretense, snared by his pride. And the Bible teaches us that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is pride that is the original sin. It is pride that causes one to reject the sacrifice in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. David's son fell. At first he was snared, and then he was slain. Look in verse 10. And a certain man saw it. Here's one of David's servants. He's in the battle, and he notices Absalom hanging in the boughs of the oak. And so he goes and he tells Joab in verse 10, and he said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging, hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, And behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son. Well, something's revealed here about the character of the man. He revered the king, and he understood the heart of the king toward his son. He says, For in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. And so he reminds Joab again of the command. He said, otherwise, I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life, for there is no matter hid from the king, and thou thyself would have set thyself against me. In other words, he said, Joab, if I had done it, if I had done what you said, then you would have reported me yourself, or you would have turned against me yourself. So something's revealed here about the character of Joab, and Joab is a very interesting character. Verse 14 then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. In other words, I don't have time for this. I, I, I don't have time for this. I, I can't believe you didn't take opportunity to go ahead and kill Absalom after all this time. He said, well, wait a minute. The king said, don't kill him. He said, I don't have time to talk about that. I'm a man of action. I'm the man in the battle. I know what needs to be done. I don't care what the king says. 
Verse 14, and he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And 10 young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing after Israel for Joab held back the people. So Joab said, I don't have time for this. <clears throat> that rebel's in that tree. He's getting what he deserves and I'm gonna finish the job. And he takes three darts. He thrusts them through the heart of Joab. And then his armor bearers finished the job, of, excuse me, of Absalom. His armor bearers finished the job. So Absalom was snared, snared by his pride. He was slain. And then we see that he was silenced. Notice in verse 17. And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. And all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar which is in the king's dale, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name, and it is called unto this day Absalom's place. You see, the Bible lets us in on something. Absalom had no son. Now the Bible in chapter 14 and verse 27 of this very book tells us that Absalom had three sons. Therefore we conclude that Absalom's sons had died. His sons had died. Because as we come to this moment, Absalom's concern is that he has no son. And by having no son, he, re he, he acknowledges the fact that his name will no longer be remembered in Israel. There'll be no one to carry on the name of Absalom. And so he built for himself a pillar in the king's dale, in the valley. He built a pillar, and he called it Absalom's place. But he wasn't buried there. He was buried in the wood where no man would travel or go see him under a heap of rocks. And his memory and his name were silenced among the Israelites. But those who reject the king will be forgotten. The Bible teaches us that the wicked and those who reject Jesus, their name, their memory shall perish. But those who know the Lord Jesus as their Savior will live forever. David's son fell. Well, then we come to the final thought. And that is this, David's sorrow flowed. We go to verse 33. After receiving the report concerning his son, the Bible tells us that the king was much moved. He was greatly stirred. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. Victory has turned to despair. Now in verses 19 through 33, we're introduced to the runners. The runners are simply the messengers that Joab sends to give the report to David of the battle. If you'll remember now, Joab has blown the trumpet. He's called the men of Israel or the servants of Israel to, to stop pursuing after Absalom's army. 
He wants to spare anyone else of death. And so the runners are ready to go and deliver the message. Look in verse 19. Then said Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, let me now run and bear the king's tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. That word avenged is a legal term. It means justice has been delivered. Ahimeaz, who was one of the two who hid in the well and then took the message to David that he needed to cross over Jordan, is now ready to go to David and let David know that the Lord has carried out justice upon Absalom and the men of Israel. But Joab gives a response in verse 20 that we do not expect. Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, and here's the reason why, because the king's son is dead. And Joab knew that this would be the chief concern of the king, that he would ask a question concerning his son. So in verse 21, Joab said to Cushai, go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab and ran. So we may wonder, why did he prohibit Ahimeaz from delivering the news? And why did he encourage Cushai to go and deliver the news? Well, we understand from the narrative, we understand that Ahimeaz did not actually see uh, the death of Absalom. He only heard about it from Joab. We know that Cushai apparently saw the death, and we note this, that while Ahimeaz is someone who is close to the king, Cushai is not even an Israelite. He is a Gentile. In fact, he is uh, his name Cushai reflects his origin as a Cushite, and a Cushite was perhaps an Ethiopian man. He had come into the uh, nation of Israel. He had been a follower of David and a soldier for David, and so he is sent to go and deliver the news. Well, Ahimeaz remains persistent in his desire, and so finally Joab relents and allows Ahimeaz to run with him. And so Cushai, who gets a head start, is finally overtaken somehow by Ahimeaz. Perhaps he traveled a different route, but nevertheless, he gets to David. Those are the runners. But then we notice the report. In verse 24, David is anxiously waiting, and, and uh, uh, the servant who is watchman, rather, who is up on the top of the gate, he sees the two men running. Finally, Ahimeaz comes in verse 28. And he says this to David, all is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hands against my Lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And to him as answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. What do we find here about Ahimeaz? He had a desire to be the messenger, but he didn't have the courage to deliver it. By the way, the Lord has sent us to be messengers. And part of the message that we deliver is bad news, that justice is required, that there is a penalty for our sin. And there are those who, who, who call themselves pastors, who, who, who have 
what they call churches and, and they preach sermons, but they do not include the message of God's justice. They do not include the message of sin and the judgment of God upon sin. And may God help us to be faithful to his message. Verse 30, and the king said unto him, turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. You see, there, were, there really were no tidings for Ahimeaz. He had nothing to say. Like so many preachers in our world today, nothing to say. In verse 31, Cushai arrives. And he says, tidings, my lord, the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day. There's that term of justice. The Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, the enemies of my lord, the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt be as that young man is. Cushai was careful in how he expressed it and wise in his words, but the message was delivered. There's something for us to learn there too. The message was delivered. Well, then we see the regret. Verse 33, and the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept as he went. Thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. O Absalom, my son, my son. David was able to save his kingdom, but unable to spare his son. And the sword that penetrated his, his heart, that sword of grief and sorrow that penetrated his heart was greater than any sword that his enemies could have ever penetrated his body with. He was filled with sorrow. The sword had arisen in his own home and had devoured him. You see, David knew something that day. David knew that the reason that all this had befallen his family, including the death of Amnon, the assault of Tamar and her banishment, the death now of Absalom, the division of the kingdom, all of these things that happened as a consequence of his own sin. And so as he cries for his son, he understands that Absalom has received the consequence of his actions. And his life is filled with regret. And by the way, David was not alone in his sorrow. The Bible tells us that day there was a great slaughter and 20,000 fell. Many grieve that day. And many grieve in our day. And sorrow fills the earth because of our sin. And while the world clamors for justice, what the world needs is mercy. And there's only one place to find it this morning. It's in Jesus. I have just a few concluding thoughts I'll share with you quickly and then we'll be done. We know first of all that the king and his servants will prevail. If we're fighting the good fight of faith, we're fighting from the winning side, right? 
And we can be confident in the wood, this weary world, this dangerous place and dangerous time in which we live, that Christ has already won the victory and we are more than conquerors. The rebellion of Satan and the world will be put to an abrupt end. If you're not a servant of Christ this morning, I want to encourage you to become a servant. Wave the flag of surrender. Repent. Forsake your pride and come to Jesus. Understand that pride is a snare that has slain many a man. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It takes you places you never intended to go, and it will leave you hanging with no escape. We learned that David and the men of Israel were unable to work out the delicate balances of justice and mercy, of law and love. Saul's kingdom, David's kingdom, what do they teach us? They teach us that there is no human form of government and justice that will ever be perfect. In fact, it will fall far short. And so we shouldn't be discouraged by what we see in our world. We understand that the systems of man will break down. There is no earthly king or people who have succeeded at that task. But one day, the Son of God will return, and he will establish his rule in righteousness. We look forward to that day. And as recipients of God's grace, as those who have received God's love and mercy, we need to be reminded that we're commanded to extend that grace. Joab forgot that lesson. He forgot it with Abner. He forgot it with Absalom. You say, Pastor, what do I do then? Because some of us tend to see things very black and white. We become judgmental and harsh. What do we do then? We put the darts down. Put the darts down. You say, well, you know that guy's hanging there and he's getting what he deserves. I'm going to finish the job, man. I'm going to let him know. No. We need to go to that man in love and with the message of hope and the message of Christ. Oh, David said, my son, my son, would God I had died for thee, my son. But perhaps what David didn't even fully understand is that one day his son, his descendant, who would not only be his son, but was also the son of God, would be born in Bethlehem in a stable, laid in a manger, that he would live a perfect, sinless life, that he would die on the cross and satisfy the justice of a holy God. But what sent him there? Love. And in Jesus, the battle within the battle, the battle between law and the battle between love come together. And may God help us to extend grace and forgiveness and mercy to all that we come in contact with. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. 
There, you will find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.